Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Trek and Babble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And uh, we're going to uh, finish up the two-parter of Future's End. Uh, we both liked part one a lot. Uh, there was a lot to like. Oh, and before we go any further, uh, Kelly's here with us. Uh, I may shout across the room occasionally and wake up with baby in the process. Yep. Uh, yeah, you know, I think we reached consensus that the episode was super fun. Yeah. Despite any sort of plot issues. I, I guess maybe the main species of issue that we had was the setup, sort of. Like, it, it, it's a setup that exists only to propel the story that was told. There wasn't really anything organic about that setup with the ship in the 29th century, blah, blah, blah. There's a, there's, there's a larger question about the can of worms that you open by saying that there is a federation in the 29th yeah. century with time travel. It It's the kind of can of worms that, because they set it so far in the future and because they don't go back to the well too often, um, you can kind of just put it out of your mind. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Any excuse to see Kate Mulgrew in her awesome 90s power suit is going to largely be okay for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Arthur's making raspberry noises. <laughs> um, is this Arthur's first podcast? Has he been on? Because I know Teddy's been on a couple. This is Arthur's first podcast. <laughs> At least uh, ex utero. <laughs> All right, well, why don't we just get started, and we have our disc, because we are coterminous with each other. This is a live podcast, to the extent that, the fact that just the two of us in the same room. Yeah, I don't know if live is, I guess it's not being broadcast over the internet to be recorded, but that would be a live broadcast. Yeah, it's true. Hmm. Yeah, we, we don't, like delay and give people time to think and you know yeah you'd probably be able well, to tell skype is happily in no way involved on in this one okay well so we're going to press play on our recording momentarily in three two one press play and we have our last time on star trek voyager captain braxton and the same old shuttle that's been around since TNG yeah, season. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, with the except for the lights, that's the one that that Klingon guy was in. in uh, oh, yeah, it. but it existed before that. It was Berlinghoff Rasmussen's shuttle. Yeah. Um, I think it may have been used for Captain Picard and the, the dude who was a lady. The dude who looked like a lady. Oh, uh, liaisons. Yeah. So here we have their... Uh, 90s gear. Pretty good look for all of them. Sarah Silverman, who we both enjoyed last time around. And Ed Bagley Jr. playing Firepower, one of my favorites. Good use of uh, vehicles and stuff, you know. Pretty decent phaser effect. I mean, I guess we're just recapitulating things. I've always found the bridge in distress effects to be interesting, like the flickering lights. It's like shorthand for something's yeah. gone wrong. I'm glad they never went too far with it. There's an episode coming up in Enterprise, Kevin, that, you know, uh, it's the zombie episode. Mm. And it's zombie Vulcans. And it's just like a strobe effect. It's terrible. Who are those guys? 
Kind of a bare midriff look for Sarah Silverman. I said it last week and I'm saying it again. That pattern on Paris's shirt is just insane. It's kind of nuts. So she's still going along with kind of the spy fiction. Are we supposed to feel that she has an inkling that there's something greater? Yeah, okay. I mean, I guess that that's what she's getting at here. You get things not quite right. How do you feel about the name Rain Robinson? I'm I'm neutral on it. She's supposed to be like a child of hippies. hippies yeah. You know, I really like Tom Paris as a character, and I really like Robert Duncan McNeil as an actor, but his hair has always bothered me. Well, he's he's hiding a receding hairline. Yeah. Eventually they do a shorter do with less of the poof, yeah. and I think it works better for him. It's kind of weird seeing pictures of him today because he's like bald and a little paunchy. Hmm. It's all that Star Trek money. Yeah. Really nicely delivered. Yeah, this is yeah, it's a really cute scene, and it, it doesn't sound forced. Well, and it says something about her, you know. It, I think people sort of view her as sort of a crass, yeah, uh, you know, gross-out comedian. But she does seem to actually have some. I said this last time, you know, she may just be acting like herself, but she acts like herself well. Yeah. It's also just a nice piece of writing. I mean, I assume, like. That the stuff she's talking about is something the writers could easily tap into. Oh, yeah. So another thing that's good is there are two sort of riffs going on here. There's the riff on Star Trek Four, and there's the riff on City on the Edge of Forever, you know? Yeah. You've got the, the female counterpart, like Jillian, who is wise to them. Yeah. And that's decent comedy yeah. because it's nice when you have people calling other characters on their shit. Yeah. But then also, like, the groceries and the working with the old machinery, you know. And who is it that used the line Stone Knives and Bearskins? I think that was Janeway. Yeah. Last episode. It's kind of an odd teaser. Yeah, it was, it was very sedate. They really didn't. It's almost like they just wrote a two-parter and stuck act breaks wherever temporarily they they had to be. Well, maybe so. Um, I mean, the cliffhanger last episode was Voyager being sighted on the news program. Yeah, and so they're they actually did, did they mention that in the the recap? No. And now, uh, you know, the teaser has sort of shifted gears yeah. and gone with. Are people on the planet, or some of them anyway? I don't mind it. It, in some ways, it's uh, you know, expository dialogue. Yeah. But because of the the way the scene was written, it worked out pretty well. So this is another Braga Minoski joint. Um, you know, I, does it always seem like we're damning Brandon Braga with faint praise? He did cause an effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's he just needs a, someone to look over his shoulder and make sure he doesn't go too far afield. I think he's a pretty decent character writer. 
and I think he's a good big idea guy. He just, you know, like many putative big idea guys, he sort of loses the details at times. Interestingly, of course, Ron Moore used to be the guy who did all the details and then became a big idea guy who fudged the details in Battlestar. Maybe it's just a function of being a big idea guy. Maybe that's just life as the big idea guy. Here's that shot again you didn't like. Yeah, it's it, that doesn't look like Earth. Like, we have so many pictures of Earth, you really can't tell me. That's a pretty decent effect yeah, in the yeah, window. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the doctor last time was abducted. <laughs> it's uh, It raises interesting questions. Let's set aside Living Witness yeah. with the backup doctor. Yeah. Living Witness is a fabulous, probably one of the two or three absolute yes. best Voyager episodes. Yes. But it does hinge on that backup doctor yeah. idea. So maybe after this they decided to create a backup doctor. Yeah. The question is... If you can excise the doctor like that, then it's not a simple matter of like breaking out the three by three point five floppies and reinstalling him. Uh, is his program essentially unreplicable? You know. Yeah. I I don't know how I feel about Captain Braxton having this really detailed schematic that they can actually get. Good information. Yeah, because he's supposed to be crazy. And it's written on, like, a, a paper bag. I really like Neelix summarizing the media response. You know, so yeah. the media has dismissed it, but military is taking things very seriously. The Air Force intercept, of course, is an echo of, uh, uh, what's it called, from TOS. Yesterday's something? No. Um, Tomorrow is yesterday. Thank you. Ooh, that is a screensaver. Remember, <laughs> remember when you needed to save your screen? Yeah, well, that's CRT technology for you. It's the dinosaur from Jurassic Park on the flat monitor there. So our two plots are kind of intersecting. Yeah. I really like her line delivery there. Oh, we've met Mr. Starling. Yeah. You know, I was reading in the Voyager Season 3 materials, uh, Kate Mulgrew says that this is the season that she really felt like she got a real handle on the character and that the writers were writing for it. And so I, I feel like it was a pretty fully formed character initially. I'd say there's more energy. But it's deeper and there's yeah. more energetic and the humor is a little bit sharper. Yeah. Um, so I, that's something I'm really enjoying. I mean, look, we're unabashed Kate Mulgrew fans, especially now that we've seen her in uh, Orange, Orange is the, the New, New Black. Black yeah. Um, to see a bit more of her range, but... Now... How do you feel about liberating the doctor? Uh, I feel like it's something they had to do. Yeah. Simply because the actor is so good yeah. that relegating him to sickbay really hamstrings your storytelling. That's where I landed. I remember being concerned when they did it that it was going to rob the doctor of some vital essence of his doctrineness. 
But it's not like they did it in episode two. Yeah. Starling has holographic emitters in his office. Uh, okay. And he's saying he doesn't have anything left to release to the marketplace. I, I mean, yeah. being, being the inventor of the holodeck would be a, yeah, it'd be the end of civilization. Pretty lucrative, yeah. I, I would think. I mean, presumably the energy cost would be on a level that this yeah. civilization could not sustain. Yeah. Uh, maybe we're supposed to take it that it's super efficient or something. Ed Bagley Jr. is a big fan of uh, LED and CFL light bulbs, uh, yeah, by the way. Yeah. I was just watching Innova, which featured him. He was on top of his house mopping off of his solar panels. I dream of doing that someday. <laughs> so there's some 20th century humor, but it's not moralizing humor. Yeah. You know, so it works. And I think that's a, a credit to Braga and Minoski. Yeah. You know. He definitely plays a good villain, I have to say. He has a certain intensity, an almost Gary Busey-like intensity. Yeah. But not that level of stupid crazy. All right. Now we're coming to a part of the story. I think I have that very magnifying glass <laughs> at my parents' house. Um, you have no means of coercing me, and... So we get pain acting by Picardo, which is pretty decent. Yeah. Um, better, I would say, than Rene Abergenois. I, I feel like he has realized it, because didn't he get the, like, Lavodian flu? Yeah. For 36 hours? Right. I also of- question his ability, uh, I guess. No. Well, there, there are philosophy of mind questions about whether this being could experience pain, the qualia of pain, in the same way that you and I could. Yeah. <laughs> Arthur agrees. Yeah, Arthur is currently experiencing the qualia of not sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> I like that Starling has magazines with his picture on it, all strewn around yeah. his office. So there's the uh, famous police headquarters in Los Angeles. Yeah. So you don't like the fashion? Um, you know, if you change out the belt and make it a full tank top, it's not that bad. Not her. Oh, you mean the, on the extras? <laughs> oh, and the dudes, yeah. Well, look, I, Tuvok and a do-rag... Makes me smile. I mean, so. well, the pants are very high. Like, when they do a long shot of Ed Begley Jr., like, those are mom jeans, like, that he's wearing. Well, in town Paris is not, uh... Yeah, the tucked-in shirt. I mean, I, just... The, the, I'm seri- sure I did that in high school. I'm just saying, seriously, he, his belly button is probably somewhere under the zipper of his pants. That's, like, how high up they are. At least he's not wearing Cavaricis or something. This is a number of years too late for that, thank goodness. So anyway, can the doctor experience pain in the way that a human or a creature that has evolved to experience pain? You know, 
I don't see why Zimmerman would have included, included him that, yeah. in the, the programming heuristics of the Doctor. Um, I can't imagine we can take it that Starling has added that somehow. I mean, that doesn't seem to be his area of expertise. Yeah. So it's uh, maybe it only irritates. Does it irritate you? It irritates me. It bothers me to think he's somehow that sophisticated a programmer. I mean, it's not like he. Like my understanding is he's he's reverse engineered the technologies. I don't think it follows that he would be a master at. Yeah. You know, cre- creating. Well, I mean, he was some hippie guy in the forest. I mean, yeah. Maybe he had taken some computer science classes at yeah. USC or something. Right. But. <sighs> It's the, How do you like Tuvox out? It's like the drawstring pants or whatever it is he's wearing. It's just crazy. This is the beginning of a story thread that I love. I adore this story thread. I want to marry it and have its babies. The just I know, I'm already married and I can't we're not having any more kids, but uh I, I just I really like this idea that they're doing reconnaissance and then the hijinks that transpire from it. And you know, it's been so long since I've watched this episode. I don't remember what you're talking about. All right, so we're well, about to Kevin's have excited. a discovery. This is a really nice uh, shot. You know, because they're doing this as a two-parter, there's a lot of room for these scenes to yeah, breathe. Yeah. And they do it well. Like These are well-written scenes. Because we're getting color and backstory for the characters, but it doesn't feel artificial. It feels yeah. very organic. You know, we get a bit more of Bellano's Academy experience, a bit of Chakotay's experience. Robert Beltran's an interesting cat. It's like when he gets a scene, he does it well. But yeah. when he has throwaway stuff, you can tell he's, like, irritated. Yeah. yeah. And she's asking the good question. Yeah. I wonder where they would... Okay, here's... Canada? Well, here's the thing. They have a ship with warp drive, and Vulcan exists. Why not just go to Vulcan? Explain, like... Or would it be, like, a timeline problem? Yeah, I feel like that would... They'd have to find an isolated place on Vulcan. That's true. I I spoke before I thought. Well, because they could, you know... Accelerate first contact, and mm-hmm. it would, yeah. Or Vulcan would say, no, now we know they're there, we're going to avoid it. Yeah. You know, that would be an issue. I understand, they're going to some out of the way place on the continent, but then they're going to get jobs. Well, what they're discussing is what they would do if they were truly stranded in the century. Right, but- to me, out of the way means you find an isolated place. Yeah, I mean, they've got replicators. They, yeah. They've got an antimatter reactor. Right, they should be able to sustain the basics of life. Litter off oh, the Zach Morris cell phone. It's great. <laughs> well, plus with a blondish guy with a Zach outfit. Yeah. Oh, wouldn't it be great if, if, if Robert Duncan just looked at the camera and went, time out, I would have died. Nice location shot, uh, you know, visual interest, a lot of extras. I mean, that one thing we've been harping on for the past ten episodes or so is when they're on an alien planet, they're in some town, and there's only like 12 people. This seems like a city, mm-hmm. you know? Granted, a California pseudo-city, but still, a city with lots of people in it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, these people are doing a 
I guess they live in Los Angeles, so they're used to it, but they're doing a, a bang up job of not reacting to reacting the, the camera. camera. Yeah. It looks like they're by some sort of concert hall. Because I see Tosca, the Barber of Seville, in the background there. She has kind of a small head, doesn't she? <laughs> maybe the hair is exacerbating it, or maybe her shoulders are broad, I don't know. Okay, so the shuttle mission is to use the shuttle transporter to abduct Henry Starling. And there's the henchman guy. That seems like a pretty bonehead move. Yeah. The woman back there is holding her skirt down so it doesn't blow up. <laughs> there was something Chandler Pavilion. Oh, the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. It's a theater. They held the Oscars there a few times, I think. There's some uh, L.A. dialogue there for you. <laughs> the one-on-one's a nightmare this time of day. Isn't it just a nightmare at all times of day? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I've only been on it two or three times, but it was a nightmare each time, and I don't think I was there at like five every day, every time. Picardo is just really good at that. He, he is a gifted And community. the way he's running yeah. is hilarious. Because, of course, he has no occasion to run, right. generally speaking. Nice Lincoln town car there. A little free advertising for the people at Lincoln. I mean, give her credit. She's rocking the two-piece. She hasn't had kids. Yes, she hasn't had kids. I, I'd be willing to bet almost any sum of money that she has not had kids at this point. Uh, she looks, what, 26? Mid, yeah, mid-20s. So Starling has some kind of device that's interrupting transport. Was she wearing that ponytail last episode? Yeah, that's what she was that wearing. Was what in the she was wearing suit. with the okay, yeah. yeah. I believe this is the start of Janeway's non-bun hairdos, which are better. And she has sort of a yeah. The the clip is well. The clip she was wearing on the plant on Earth. It was round. Better. Yeah, yeah. This one is like a like a parallelogram or something. Does it look like a tricorder? I don't know. It looks like a universal translator from uh, TOS. Yeah. Metamorphosis. I like that there's sort of like a health effect. Yeah. Now the question here is, is his escape stupid? I guess we'll find out.
that was not not the great. Gra- not the greatest effect in the world. Like the, the the shuttle itself looked fine. It was the scale and speed that just well, didn't the, match. Well, the lighting didn't work. Either. Yeah. No. So this is the story thread that I mean, it's out of left field, but I just I love it. I, I love it. I have it. no memory of this story thread. <laughs> it's happening. I'm becoming addled and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a level two neurological scan to make sure I don't have irmotic syndrome. Maybe you could wear a cortical monitor. The lawn chairs really sell it. <laughs> so, Kevin, what we have here are right wing nut survivalists. Yeah. You know, this is coming in the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, no way. After what, what, David Carrasco, after Waco, and uh, I don't know if the Oklahoma City bombing had happened yet. I think it had. If it had, it would have been just barely. It either just barely or some somewhat soon yeah. after this. But they cast really good actors. This one looks like an Indian, and that one, I don't know what her story is. I mean, they've got that sort of mouth-breathing, stupid idiot look. <laughs> and, you know, that's a funny scene. <laughs> Are you spying on us, Chief? And I like Chakotay's reaction. See, and the dialogue is smart. You know, these guys don't think they're aliens necessarily. It's a stealth plane. Military uniforms. Would you have made the leap to military uniforms? No, I would have made the leap to cosplay. Um. (laughs) The federal government is the beast. You know I don't know if you could have more prescient dialogue. I don't know. I, f- I find this so far to be a little much. Maybe there's a reason I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, it's, I'm not respond. I find it a little one-dimensional. Like, if nothing else, one of our favorite things about previous time travels to Earth is the kind of enjoyable sense of when, you know, they meet humans who who get a who can suss out a glimpse of the true story and respond well, we positively. That. We but have I, that with Rain Robinson. Yeah, I don't know. I, felt, I, I like that we're seeing the seamy underbelly of yeah. American society and ideology. It's, uh, I don't know. Mr. Leisure Suit. There's a name I had yeah. considered. I just love watching them in this van. Yeah, no, this bit is good. I, I just, yeah, I found that whole, I'm with you, Kelly. I found that whole previous scene a bit one note. Like, the, it's it's just too, too much. I like, I do like the way that, I, I like that Tuvok holds the phone somewhat unnaturally. I don't like it because, I don't know, even though I'm, New Star Trek wasn't going to go there. I kept feeling like they were going to try to rape Alana. I get that. The, the guy played it with a little bit of that. I mean, I suppose it's also one of those, like, really, they still haven't fixed the transporters and the shuttles can't. The shuttles can transport from orbit. They've done it before. 
Like, all of the tension of a lot of this stems from the lack of a functional transporter. It seems like the shuttle should be able to do it. Well, but they're trying to get rid of the time ship. Yeah. And I could see that maybe a shuttle transporter couldn't handle something large like that. I mean, for one thing, they say that site-to-site transports are difficult. Yeah, yeah. You know, so even if the transporter had enough juice to pick it up, where would it drop it? Yeah. And there's a force field around Chronoworks, so, you know. The thought had crossed my mind. Okay, so he's amping things up. He is willing to destroy Los Angeles. And again, she's holding her own really well. Yeah. Uh, against, I mean, it's, he's like six six or something. Yeah. Except for the hollow projector. Yeah. <laughs> Why did the ship have a hollow projector? Okay, so Kevin, you previously mentioned. Uh, you know, sort of snake eating its own tail paradox yeah. issues that you didn't like with this. Yeah, I also this is like one. Roddenberry's one of his big things was like getting mad when people suggested aliens built the pyramids. No, it, it meant something that humans built the pyramids. So the idea that the computer revolution was not a natural progression is somewhat annoying. Well, but look, I mean, let's try to suss this out here. Um, we can't draw a diagram, but some human invented the technology that he is cannibalizing. Are we to take it that it truly is just sort of a snake eating its own tail and that no one's responsible for it? Or are we to take it that this, because he has done this, is now a, a branching timeline? Eh, uh, it just nags me. It'll just the I'm I, not saying they should answer that question. Yeah, I'm but, just saying like the idea that the humans at the time did not actually develop it themselves is the source of my annoyance. That's a really bad fit on that security officer. Yeah. I mean, he also has a dopey look on his face, but yeah, she looks better. Shoulders are a bit much. Pretty good force field act. Yeah. That was not. Uh, it was a brief shot, but it was a decent one. Of yeah, the that was a nice composite. Yeah. Yeah, the basement looks real. I, I, there's something about the way that they find this so utterly ridiculous that just does it for me. I get uh, the, the sh- particularly Lana. She's acting it well. Yeah, but I mean, she, th- she thinks this guy's an imbecile. See, and they've got these sort of dumpy Arizona uh, cowboy types. I, I don't know. I just, I don't care. I don't. It, uh, it, yeah, this is just not doing it for me. I just enjoy it. I don't know. I, I, maybe I don't need to defend it. I, it's just a 
matter of personal taste. Yeah. I just really enjoy it. Maybe I'll, maybe it feels like filler to me. It's like one more plot thread where we didn't really need any more. Well, I can see that to some degree. But again, it is a two-parter, and there's stuff going on. You know, like rescuing Chekhov in Star Trek Four could be seen as plot filler, you know? But what it does is it gives a, a, a platform for the sort of humorous jibes at the medical establishment, right? You know, like may, scenes may, for the doctor to do things. Maybe it just feels like it's such a heavy hand. Like, <laughs> like if you want but to... Sh- I like the heavy hand on stupid right-wing idiots. Yeah, so. and, I, and normally so do I. I don't know, just if... Did she give it? Why would they give their real names? Why not? <laughs> There's nothing she could do that yeah, would I'm, impact. I'm, yeah. She's doing good driving acting. I mean, this looks like she's really driving. Yeah, I, I mean, I assume it's being pulled just for safety's sake, but it's, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's being an actor in Los Angeles, you really do have to drive everywhere. And when she did turn her head like that, she missed her turn. So there you go. I still hate that Chrono Works mat. That's not the best. And this is not the best composite either. Wait. Is it like an X? I thought it was a K. Oof. This, this, start, this looks like Babylon 5. It just, it's very early uh, CGI. Yeah, I mean... It, his pants are so high, but he's also so tall and lanky that it just creates a very disconcerting effect. And the cut of the jacket yeah. is uh, very 90s. All right. I don't mind that escape. I mean, he used future technology yeah. to, to nab him. I always felt like eventually he should have killed this guy. I, I just, I just don't know how he could trust someone that much. Yeah. Would you have wanted a piece of dialogue indicating why Dunbar was so loyal? Yeah. Like what he's getting paid. Yeah. What Starling has over him. Like I'm not saying I want him to to turn. Because that's kind of an annoying trope, right? Yeah. Like the villain who alienates his, you know, close co-worker. Yeah. Tom is showing admirable restraint. Absolutely. <laughs> He's not married. Very busy. You know, part of the genius of casting her is that she's not too good looking. Like, she's an attractive woman, but she's not, like, actressy, you know, like some blonde, sort of statuesque, semi model looking actress. She looks like a normal, attra- like an actual attractive woman. Yeah, like, she looks 
regular, normal. I was right on the wall there. It's like Prana works with a K S at the end. Oh. The fact that someone else put that on the internet is uh, get off my land. <laughs> I don't. I just find I find it to be. It's it's like they're doing it's like they're doing deliverance dinner theater. I find it just. I like that lighting effect with the phaser. Yeah. A black man and some bald guy. <laughs> some bald guy. I wonder if the autonomous emitter can take a bullet. Yeah. I I could imagine it. Could, yeah. Yeah. Some pretty good stun acting. Yeah. I have an autonomous emitter. End of story. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they should be following in a less conspicuous <laughs> vehicle. <laughs> Well, see, she knows. Yeah. <laughs> That's she. Yeah. She, there's something about Kate Mulgrew's delivery. I mean, I'm not saying it's better than someone like Patrick Stewart, but it, it's it's her own, and it makes her feel like a real person. Yeah. I feel like at this point, anyone who disliked Janeway just had a stick up their butt or no, something. No, I, I always like Janeway. Your mom just likes I know. Huh? No, I like Janeway as Janeway. I just continue to have issues with the narrative structure of the show overall. Wonder what, did they like close a stretch of road or I mean I I guess these the are pretty deserted roads. Yeah, I mean I I'm sure they did. They might have turned one guy away. Don't. <laughs> Is it really possible to flood an engine? Maybe it is in a, like a 60s VW yes. <laughs> This was mildly overdone. <laughs> and that was not the best explosion effect uh, in the but, world. Uh, I don't hate it. That's not a very good composite. See, this is the very early days. Yeah, they're standing in front of a green screen or something. Well, or they they had a green field yeah. in the location or something. I don't know. I appreciate the ambition. Yeah. It's not horrible. It doesn't look horrible. Right. It's, it's just, just obviously yeah, an effect. Yeah. 
Is, I mean, is that a standard we're going to hold it to? Yeah, you're right. W-E-R-K-S. Maybe the painters got it wrong. Or maybe it was his early logo. I'm sad there's no Majel Barrett voice in the 29th century. Yeah. That seems kind of inefficient. Blasting through your windows like that. It's like when you come back with the future tech, you're going to want to, you know, office. Make a door. All right. I'll, I'll freely admit that there are a few malfunctions that serve to artificially yeah. produce drama. But we get the trope of captains manually yeah. reconfiguring torpedoes yeah. for some reason. <laughs> Was this after Generations? Yeah. Well, there you go. the top, like, Five people in command are all off the ship. Let's send the send the captain. Well, she's gonna get injured too. It just seems like one of the other hundred and forty-five people on the ship might be not but, not only closer but better qualified, better suited. Yeah. She's like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? I kind of wish their kiss were interrupted here. Like, I think that would have been funny. Like Tuvac, you know, showing up and blocking. <laughs> it's a nice CG model. Yeah. This almost looks like the set from... It's very similar. ...from Generations. Could very well be a reuse. Uh, I just noticed two bucks, like, high tops. The high tops, tops that's great. <laughs> and the doctor's just like, hee I'm on the bridge. Yeah, she said I, sir. She got a line. The do rag is off. Now it's just a wig, I think. Okay, so my my irritation with the premise is that some future civilization has created a technology that if it's miscalibrated just so, it can destroy the solar system. That does seem short-sighted. Well, especially because it's got a, you know, an artificial intelligence yeah. kind of computer. It's like, there's a lot of 47s in this episode. It's getting old. I guess we can't go back in time and smack Brandon Braga across the face. But yeah. I wonder how many people would do that if they could. Yeah. That's true. I think Braga's responsible for more good than bad. Yeah. He's been saving that one up for weeks. Yeah. 
Well, I think if I ever became a supervillain, I'd put a lot of work into my. Uh, You'd have an index raises. card in your pocket. Yeah. You know. So this is kind of the uh, Star Trek Six moment. And and uh, generations, that same thing. See, the thing here is that Braxton is reappearing. They are still part of the loop that was created. Yeah. Presumably, the crazy Braxton is still down there. Yeah. And now he says, I never experienced that timeline. So I feel like this is a branch yeah. with Chronoworks being an anomalous element. To your previous coordinates in the Delta Quadrant. This is fairly reasonable. You know, I, I don't feel cheated by this. Yeah. Temporal Prime Directive. <laughs> Have more for tea, Captain. <laughs> I mean, they don't have much of a choice. Yeah. Here. There, yeah. There's nothing they can do. Stay on Earth in 1996 or get back to your time in the Delta Squadron. Yeah. Might as well get your own time. There's no chance you're going to see anyone. Yeah. Any of your loved ones. Right. I don't know. Could they create some sort of suspended animation? Or. <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah. I guess they would be not very high on that idea. I do have questions about I, I wish there might have been one line thrown in here referencing the doctor's recent issues. Yeah. With the expansion of his program. Like yeah. maybe the emitter has enough capacity that it, it's obviated that issue. Or the fact that it might cause more problems because now yeah. it can be autonomous and filling his database with even more. Yeah. Isn't he liberated from his database? Is he like doing cloud backup? <laughs> What's the deal? They should have given him suitors' quarters. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of dead people. Something if you could have someone's quarters. That's a really nice delivery by Tim Russ. <laughs> Who are these extras? <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, the episode ends. You're a real freakosaurus. I, you know, I really enjoyed the whole two-parter. I think it's probably Voyager's. Okay, is it the best Voyager we've seen so far? 
you know, there there was a pretty good episode with Neelix and the you know the, the scientist yeah. behind the. I'm gonna say Doctor Mora, but it's Jatrell. not Doctor Mora. Yeah, Jatrell, That's right. Um, and there have been some decent shows that you know, like Phage. And Death Wish. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the most fun Voyager's been. Yeah. The, like this seemed like a real coming out party for the show. I mean, it's, is it best of both worlds? No. No. I. You know, it's not. It doesn't elevate things into a realm of seriousness that didn't exist before. That's Scorpion, of course. Um, you know, the best of both worlds of Voyager with the Borg, no less. But I don't know. I remember watching this and I liked Voyager before, but I was like really into it now. That's how I felt. Uh, I mean, Kelly, do you remember when we watched, was this a turning point episode for you or you didn't dig it as much? No, I like this a lot. I just don't know if this was a turning point for me. Yeah, I was okay with Voyager at this point. Um, I certainly tuned in every week, and I did enjoy this one a lot. Um, I'll say the episode at least maintained the energy of the predecessor, which is something two-parters have not always been able to do. I think it it uh, maybe even slightly improved on the predecessor. You know, all the sort of story setup stuff is out of the way, and it's resolution, but the resolution was interesting and not the only thing that was predictable about it was the fact that they didn't get home. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, so it wasn't terribly predictable. There were a lot of twists and turns which were entertaining and interesting. There was good action, uh, good location usage. You know, it it's just an exciting show, if you ask me. Uh, so writing-wise, I mean, there's a lot of good comedy. There's good action. I guess I'm the only one who really liked the right wing. Yeah, I I don't know. I just found it so. Yeah, I, it it just they were so. They, I agree. They're a bit of a poster board representation of right wing, and, and I find them so unpleasant that it was like a turn off to watch. Like See, it, it amused me, so I wasn't. I, I get what you're saying, and I I certainly picked up that little twinge that Kelly is mentioning of, you know, kind of a rapey vibe to the guys, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. It, it, I, 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 yeah. I enjoy myself while the episode is on a great deal. Um, it didn't, like, change my life or anything. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, Acting-wise, I agree. Uh, I, I think because of a lot of the action and a lot of clipped dialogue, except for maybe the Doctor, there wasn't a ton of acting to do. There were three or four nice small scenes. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. Especially with Sarah Silverman. Yeah. You know, it might have been conducive to the episode to have a little bit more of Starling. Like, to just deepen him a little bit. To yeah. not have him be a vi- just completely villainous. Yeah. Like, maybe the thing about trying to better humanity, like, if we had gotten a, a tad more of that. Yeah. Or maybe if he, like, gave to charity. Yeah. You know, right? You know, or if he had, like, a sick wife and he was trying to find a piece of technology that would cure her or something. That would make him Mr. Freeze, but... Well, and, of course, Anorex. <laughs> yeah. In, that, the, he'll, in yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, but just some, not to make him not a villain, but to give him some additional motivation that makes us not just want him dead. You know? Yeah. That, that increases drama and stakes for the viewer. So I think he was a bit, a bit too villainous. And that's something that goes for both episodes. Or even just an examination of, was it the incursion of the time ship that caused him to be villainous, or was he already a sociopath? You yeah. Because that's an interesting question. Yeah. You know, would any caveman confronted with, you know, a tricorder become a dictator? Yeah. Because, of course, the other caveman would be really impressed by it. Yeah. You know, whatever. Um, so yes, maybe there are one or two missed opportunities. I don't think the missed opportunities are fatal by any stretch of the imagination to the overall fun of the show. Um, a lot of the CGI fell a little flat for me, like the shuttle crash, the truck explosion, the satellite, that beam startling out of, uh, sick bay. It all fe- it, it just it maybe I liked it more at the time because it was ooh new technology, but now it's like well it, it looks dated. To be charitable, the scenes aren't on the screen for very long, yeah. so there's yeah. not a lot of time to be annoyed by them. Yeah, for the most part, it's a very location heavy show and not as much an effect heavy show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's probably average. I would call it above average based on locations. Yeah. Just yeah, the sense that. of life to the city is something that's rare. Like even in, say, City on the Edge of Forever, that's such a backlot city. Totally. You know? Yeah. Whereas this is a real breathing place. Um, which actually, heck, I don't think TNG ever had any place that looked as good. May, may, San Francisco came close. In TNG, though? Yeah, like in uh, or old San Francisco in uh, Times Era. I think they had as many varied outdoor scenes. And sure, it was a Paramount backlot and yeah, you knew it. it was still a bit backlot-y. Uh, it, I agree that it was better than most of their backlot cities. But it, it couldn't hold a candle to this as far as, you know, just density of information. Um, so I'm... I'm Wavering between a four and a five, just like I was last time. Yeah, I think this is, I, I again think this is solidly a four. Um, the action is good, the action is well paced, the comedy is funny, but, you know, I'm not left with my jaw on the floor the way a, a five, I think, should. Like, for whatever we've given a five, there's been a sense of, wow, that was just mind blowing. Even if we gave it for a comedy reason, or an emotional core, or a science fiction story, or some combination, there's some sense of, like, awestruck in our fives that I don't think this achieves. And that's not an insult. I think this is a well-paced, competently, like, extremely well-executed, and uh, the execution doesn't feel, with my limited caveat about the rednecks, um, I think there's there's, like, a sense of competence and trust in what they're doing that uh is like you can have an episode that is good but kind of shows it's you know you see the seams in the work and that certainly doesn't happen here but but yeah i i think this is another four yeah i guess you've convinced me when it comes to lacking some sort of 
transcendently good either idea or performance. Um, you know, we gave Phage a five, right? Yeah. And why did we give Phage a five? I think there were two or three really sort of gut-busting scenes, yeah. you know, that really brought home this disease aspect. Yeah. And then the the basic I, the premise was so strong. I yeah. Mean, this is your basic time travel show. Yeah. You so know, c- preserve the timeline. Yeah. Get R- home. Really well done. Yeah. But still, nothing. You know. Nothing that leaves you agape. Yeah. So I agree. Um, I guess it's a four. Um, I would say it's it's as high a four as I, I could give, <laughs> because it's just so much fun. The the fun factor almost pushes it to five territory, but because we're so well trained and rigorous, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I'm willing to to leash my enthusiasm and to acknowledge that it's objectively flawed in various respects. Um, you know, as a show, I think this is a, a great time for Voyager. You know, a lot of people seem to poo-poo the first three seasons piecemeal, or not piecemeal, as a piece. Um, you know, it's like everything before 709 sucked. And that's just flatly wrong. I wouldn't say that. I will say, looking at the list thus far, we've had several episodes. Like, we've given, I think, nothing but sixes up till now. And a lot of those are like, this is not a great episode. They faltered in some meaningful way, but something, usually a performance uh, from, say, Kate Mulgrew or Robert Ricardo or Roxanne Dawson bars us from considering a two. And... So, yeah, we have a bunch of sixes in a row, but th- I, I definitely have a sense, at least before this episode, that a lot of this stuff was stuff we've done before in other shows. I agree or they, stuff weren't, that they weren't reaching for big stories yeah. with as much frequency. And it, so, like, sure, there are no fours, but there also are any eights to this point. I, I'm, I'm going to reserve my fun, like, greater analysis until we reach the end of the season, but I, I get this – I would agree that there is a sense – Almost every episode up to this point has had a feeling of, if only they tightened this, this could have been something really special. And that becomes its own downside, even if the final product is, in fact, average. I feel, yeah, in seasons one and two, there have usually been one or two real standouts and then a bunch of average stuff. And they haven't hit the degree of virtuosity that TNG seasons three, four, and five consistently cranked out, yeah. you know, excellent, excellent shows. Well, and something, but, something, but oh, there, there is season two had two very notable dips <laughs> with the thaw and threshold. Uh, but for the most part, they have succeeded and, you can call this faint praise if you will. They have succeeded in sort of nailing a baseline competence that the other two shows really hadn't in their first two seasons. I, and I think it's just a product of the same company being, you know, just having that much yeah, experience. I, I will say, though, something I'm starting to notice thus far is I, I, it's really been driven home for me, like particularly when the guest star in last week's, uh, you know, telepath memory with a you know telepathic alien with this deep dark secret was the same actress from the last time we did it on next gen 
I'm trying not to look for them because I'm trying to treat Voyager fairly as its own entity, but it's really coming home just how much feels like TNG story threads. And I think it's because it is the same people who've been doing it for, you know, going on 10 years now. And something. Well, that particular episode also was a Troy episode that they repurposed. Right. So, so. it just starts to, like, there's something about uh, all of the writing staff, and it's been great watching this on the Blu rays for Next Gen, have talked about. How be- tired they were. Yeah, how between, you know, Next Gen and All Good Things or Next Gen and Voyager and absolutely, oh my god, Voyager and Enterprise, they wanted a year off. And I told, like, as a kid, I would have been angry. Like, no, I want Star Trek now because I was a kid. As an adult, I understand, even if you're really good, sometimes you just need to step back because you just start to crank out the same stuff and it just starts to feel like we've been here before because in many ways we have. So... That said, my my only rejoinder would be that whatever you want to say about plots being recycled, the characters are so strong to me, and I think Kel- yeah. Kelly agrees with me that they could they could have just redone you know a dozen TNG episodes and they would be different shows because of the characters, and that difference would be interesting enough. You know, I'm invested in the characters by now, and so. Part of my brain acknowledges that there is, you know, some creeping similarities here, and I, and I hear that criticism, and I just I don't feel it with the same fervency that some Voyager haters online seem to to hold it in, you know, because I don't care. I love Belana, I love Tom, I love Janeway, I love Tuvok, you know. It's it's you know I'll say I I really like Janeway, I really like Belana, I really like the Doctor. I'll say, like, there are, obviously there are a few standout characters on Next Gen, there, like any cast, and I don't know, I just feel like the, the blander characters like Chakotay or Harry or Kess when they really weren't writing for her, I feel like the characters they didn't write for or didn't really gel in Voyager came in lower than the characters who got the same treatment on Next Gen, like, and maybe it's because I watched, watched Next Gen as a kid, and it's like, that. that's why I love them all so much, but... I really, really like, like, I, I can easily put Janeway and Torres and the Doctor in with the next-gen characters I love the most. Like, that's not a hard trip for me. But I find the characters I'm uninterested in Voyager to be really, un- I find that I find myself really unconnected to them in a way that, even when it's like, well, Jordy's not my favorite character, but gosh darn it, Booby Trap's a great episode. Like, I, I just well, never had that same lack of connection you know with any of the next-gen cast. In rewatching and in reviewing, I've actually come to realize that the TNG characters are generally weaker as a bunch. Like, their spotlight episodes don't go as deep. And to some degree, that's a function of the main story ideas generally being stronger, is that there's not enough time to do character well, I also, I also think it's an artifact of the era. I think the yeah. idea of doing deep character development in your sci-fi show was just not done. I think Jerry Taylor is a really excellent steward of the characters. And in the same way that someone like Michael Piller made sure that there was pillar filler in TNG and DS9 to some degree, uh, Jerry Taylor, it's like character filler. And these characters are deeper. I think it's so important that, Kevin, when you're saying, you know, your three favorite characters in Voyager, that two of them are female. No, yeah, I, I agree. I, I am 
thrilled, at, especially as I've gotten older. Well, and, and then when we get to seven, there's going to be three strong females. But females. I think that that's part of what makes this show so different, that even if you have the same storyline that you just told in yeah. the it's a totally different spin if you've got such strong female characters that you just don't have in TNG. I, like, I like Beverly Crusher and I like Troy, but they are not the kind of characters. I, 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 They're I, not I, as three-dimensional as Janeway. Yeah, in retrospect, I would have liked Crusher and Troy to get the treatment and the stewardship that the women in Voyager got. It's, it's hard to separate out my childhood nostalgia affection for TNG. And part of, like... Well, that that's what I'm saying about this rewatch is that yeah. I have the same nostalgia. TNG is still my favorite show, mainly yeah. on a big idea basis. Yeah. But I I have come to really realize in rewatching TNG two or three times in the course of this blog that the characters, to some degree, are a bit underbaked, and you know it's really in the movies that they get more most of their character development. Um, maybe not maybe not most, but the, the major stuff. Yeah. Now Riker and Picard get lots of development. They have data. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, <laughs> data much, gets yeah. too much character development. Um, you know, but like Kelly said, you know, Troy, Crusher, Jordy, Worf. I mean Worf gets two or three spotlight shows, but then he's really just still kind of in the background for the rest of the series. I don't know. At there's a there's a different approach to characters here that I'm really appreciating, acknowledging the fact that many plots are kind of you know retreads. Once we get to seven of nine, the retread issue is going to fade significantly, you know. But even there, they now tend to hit you can criticize yeah. what they do with the board, yeah. But at least their new stories with the board, yeah. Well, you know, I I'll put it this way, like. I, I rewatched Voyager once or twice between its airing and this, and I'm rewatching it for this. I find myself, like, if I'm just sitting down, like, if I'm, you know, cleaning my apartment or I'm, you know, doing my taxes or something, if I start a season of Voyager, I find myself skipping more episodes than I would in any other series. And uh, maybe it's like, I agree that the character development is there, but that I'm just going to skip to the episode that has that character development with the great story, and those feel fewer, like... And and it, this this is just personal assessment, but I, I find myself less drawn to rewatch a greater quantum of episodes thus thus far. I in think Voyager. I think there are more skippable episodes in Voyager than in TNG, but I would reject that there are more skippable episodes in Voyager than Deep Space Nine. Agreed. <laughs> Deep Space Nine, you could essentially skip the first three Some seasons, seasons entirely. Yeah. You know, uh, there's some stuff in season three. That's oh no, good. I'm not yeah. saying there aren't good episodes. We've cer- certainly seen good episodes. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I I believe I've only watched the storyteller twice. Once when it was on, and once when we reviewed it for the blog. <laughs> yeah. uh, I I have a I and I have a soft spot in my heart for the gawky gothy teenager that is Deep Space Nine with its weird ideas and its and its uh, bad yes. attitude. Yeah, I just I I, <laughs> I just respond to it. It'll be interesting to see. I, I am waiting for seven of nine, so I'm curious what the rewatch will do to that because I, I distinctly recall by season six and seven feeling that they'd almost run out of steam with seven, where a lot of the it just she and Janeway had the same conversation. Well, yes, a lot. I mean it's obvious that they had the captain when you liberated me from the collective. You said X, but now you're saying Y. Wah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they, like, they, they just leaned on that a lot. Um, 
But I, I'm. She did grow a lot as. A oh yeah, and she's a. And she changed like like seven of nine was different in season six and in season seven. Yeah. Than she was in season yeah. five. Maybe I'm. I, and I'm I, I'm making sure that it's not just anger at the Jacote thing because that was stupid. I, I, I hey, it's lo- nowhere near as stupid as Troy Worth. See, I think they at least laid the ground. That's one of those like even if you don't like it, it didn't come. It it didn't feel out of nowhere in the same way. It's like they literally were like, well, we need Jacote to have a resolution, so we'll give him seven. That's your consolation prize for no character development over seven years. The hot blonde. Um, I wasn't a fan of it. I'm not saying I was a fan of it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe because Seven didn't have an Imzadi, you know, it wasn't as <laughs> you know irritating as a true fan, a true believer, a true like she like. Thought she should have ended up with Harry. I Seven and Harry would have been funny for one thing. To see Seven sort of roll all over him and you know, have him be a doormat for her. Or Seven and the Doctor would have been better. Seven and the Doctor bothered me for much the same reason that Kira and Odo bothered me, in that it's the like cla- like male science fiction writers. It's not romantic when you pine for years and don't say anything. It's creepy and it's weird and it leads to this bitter resentment thing that's really off-putting. Please stop writing that story. I think the way that they, they broached it ended up being really good. Yeah. On the strength of Robert Picardo's acting. They broached it, and then they dismissed it, as they should have done with Odo and Kira. <laughs> you know? All right. Anyway, Future's End. A good two-parter. Uh, probably one of the better two-parters overall when you take into account both parts. Consistency, yeah. You know? Uh, in the franchise thus far. Uh, I mean, there have been some, some very good two-parters in DS9. TNG, what what would you say the best two-parter is? Time Zero, as far as maintaining consistency. Uh, Gambit, I think. Like what? Like it's not that I, I think Gambit's actually not a unfair comparison. There's like a, you know, like they they set up this pirate. If only they had story. made that stupid psychic weapon a little more interesting. Faster, yeah. So that you couldn't just like step two steps to the side yeah. and avoid it. Yeah. Um. The Voyager will have more. Voyager will have a, a good number. This is the first Voyager two-parter, and they're going to do a pretty, you know, they've got Year of Hell coming up. They've Workforce. got Workforce, Dark Frontier. And I think Voyager, they've got a lot of good two-parters in Voyager. I have issues with the with Dark Frontier and Unimatrix Zero. Unimatrix Zero, yeah, that's its own beast, and we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, Workfo- Workforce is one of those... I want to like it more than I do because I don't have an articulated criticism of it. it ju- I, it's just not... I'm not grabbed by the throat. I love it. Yeah, Kelly loves Workforce, and I like it a lot, too. Well, see, I think you would just watch a show about Kate Mulgrew goes to work. Like, <laughs> like, like if they if they decided to redo Working Girl as a TV show with Kate Mulgrew, it's you like, would just sit down and watch well, it. Well, no, it's like, well, we're not going home anymore. Seeing her as captain, not knowing that she's the captain, and, you know, what is she like then? That, yeah, oh yeah, that, she was definitely fun. I just, okay, I'm, I'm not good. We're, we're, we can't end up reviewing Workforce three seasons before we get there. Um, so eight out of ten, very good episode, thoroughly enjoyable on every front. Um, and I think that I think that's it for now. I think is the baby's actually asleep, so we should probably yep. Wrap it up. Well, <laughs> live long and prosper, everybody, and uh, have a good night.